Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is Duncan. Beware of cheap imitations, castles. And we will be bringing you news today, huge news on Manchester City, uh, also some on Chelsea, Manchester United, West Ham United, Barcelona, and others as well. And of course, it is the second pod of the week, and therefore, there will be the Donkey Award. However, first, we bring you uh, news that we understand that uh, from the very top, and I mean the very top, that is Sheikh Mansour, there has been a mandate given to the club that they should pursue and indeed compete with Real Madrid for the signature of Kylian Mbappe. We're told that City having obviously been embarrassed by the Harry Kane debacle in the last transfer window when they pursued the player, the player wanted to go, but they failed to get him, that the club now want to make sure that they do get a top-class striker to augment their squad. And Mbappe, of course, is out of contract at the end of this season. It's well known that he wants to play for Real Madrid, but it's also the case that he is tempted by playing in the Premier League. On the podcast previously, we have reported his interest in playing for Liverpool because of a boyhood uh, seduction, basically, Liverpool's history and watching them play on television, etc. But Manchester City um, would be prepared to try and sign him, and this is a direct uh, bit of information, at any cost. So therefore, they would be prepared to try and sign him in January, if they could, and therefore pay a transfer fee, which Real Madrid are not prepared to do. And if it took uh, beating Madrid to a bigger contract offer in next summer's window, then they would also be prepared to do that. Uh, that is how um, ambitious they are with regards to recruiting the player. Um, he certainly will leave Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, there's also, of course, Duncan, the small matter of the diplomatic breakdown between uh, Abu Dhabi and Qatar with regards to PSG, obviously, her Qatar state-owned club. Um, this isn't really a surprise, is it? Because City do need to employ that position and also Mbappe being available on freedom of contract. Um, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, to at least try to get him, regardless of Madrid's intention to sign him. Yeah, I think uh, it's clear Manchester City need a forward. Um, just looking at some of the things that... Khaldun Al-Mubarak said at the end of 
last season after they'd uh, lost the Champions League final to Chelsea, who of course they play again this weekend, uh, and and promised that Sergio Aguero would be replaced and replaced with a top player. Um, obviously, uh, they tried and and put a lot of effort into getting that top striker in, and and we know how they, the attempts they made to to take Harry Kane, and as you said, Kane has agreed to come. Uh, contract details agreed between the parties, uh, but uh, they miscalculated and, and Daniel Levy prevented that from happening. And they've left Pep Guardiola in a season where he expected to have a elite replacement at centre forward in order to chase that Champions League trophy that has eluded Abu Dhabi since they, they bought the club, um, trying to come up with uh, creative solutions again and we know that Pep Guardiola's creative solutions often backfire at the very highest level i.e. the Champions League um, you have a summer coming up where Kylian Mbappe will be free um, where he has already told Paris Saint-Germain he wants to leave um, Paris Saint-Germain prevented him from leaving in the summer despite Real Madrid's multiple bits, the final one being 200 million euros. Um, we've seen Nasser Al-Khalifi, the president of PSG, complain about Real Madrid's conduct uh, and, and insist subsequently that he does not see Mbappe leaving the club and that they expect to retain him. Um, they are making offers, they have made offers of improved contracts um, to get him to the level of Lionel Messi and Neymar or above. They don't want to lose the player. They're hopeful they can persuade him somehow to stay, but it is in Mbappe's hands now. So he is on the market. If you need a top striker, there are two available in the coming summer, Erling Haaland uh, for his 75 million euro release clause with Borussia Dortmund fully expecting uh, to lose him in the coming summer and Kylian Mbappe, they are the lead targets. You can say Harry Kane may be back on that agenda again because he'll have got his contract down another year or have signed the contract, a new contract with Tottenham, which he's been uh, suggesting should be one that includes a defined release clause. But choose between those three, look at the way that Manchester City have worked down the years and they tend to go for younger players in their early 20s, which both Haaland and Mbappe are. Haaland, as we've reported on the podcast, um, has talked to Real Madrid. And if you talk to people at Real Madrid, they believe they have an agreement with Haaland that he will come. They also believe they have an agreement with Kylian Mbappe that he will come, that his preference is to go there and they will get that deal done. Um, I mentioned Manchester City uh, to people who are involved in those negotiations and they, they say, we don't think Mbappe will go there. Um, he doesn't particularly like Manchester as a city and were he to choose one of the Manchester clubs, we think he would prefer to go to Manchester United because they have a history and a status around them that is more appealing to him than City. So they... The the feedback I get is they're not worried about City. Um, so therefore you ask, why are City doing this? Well, I think one of those elements you mentioned, which the rivalry with Qatar is important here. Um, if there is a way of doing it and why not explore it? Why not talk to Mbappe's people? Um, why not put proposals on the table which are financially better 
than Madrid. Why not try and persuade Mbappe that actually um, your opportunity to play in the Premier League is here and the best chance to win Champions League trophies is coming here? Go for it and see if you can change the, the guy's mind. If you do succeed, then what better way to give Qatar a bloody nose than to take the player that they have desperately wanted to retain and keep out of the hands of Real Madrid and, and go into such lengths as to turn down 200 million euros for a player who will be available to sign under freedom of contract in a few months' time uh, and take him from Qatar to Abu Dhabi and use him as the central point of your attempt to be the first of those two Arab nation states to win the Champions League. At worst, you make it more expensive for Real Madrid, probably, assuming Mbappe has a degree of financial interest in this transaction that he will use at leverage of a better offer to improve his offer at Madrid. Or you make it more expensive for Qatar to retain the player if they're actually right and they and and it turns out that they can persuade Mbappe to stay longer and get him to sign a new contract. So I don't think there's much for City to lose here. And look, you, you've detailed that this is an order that's coming down from Abu Dhabi to um, the Manchester City board and the hierarchy. Um, therefore, it's something that is required to be followed. They have orders from the money men. See if you can do it, explore it. So you do see if you can do it. And we know that Pep Guardiola likes um, Mbappe as a player. In fact, he had direct conversations with Mbappe when he was at Monaco um, to try and persuade him to come to Manchester City at that stage. And uh, big offers were made by Manchester City, as were made by Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain in that summer. In the end, Paris Saint-Germain won that battle. So you can see why they're getting involved, but getting involved in this case is, is a case where I think the chances of success in terms of actually securing the player are more limited than usual when City get involved in these kind of attempted transactions. Well, speaking to a Virginia source at City, Duncan, um, that person told me that uh, in response to um, Khaldun al Mubarak's uh, order that I, I said that had come from Sheikh Mansour regarding Mbappe, the response was from the football department. Well, he's 100% going to Real Madrid. Um, so this is going to be a very difficult transfer to secure. Uh, and the response back was, um, well, that may be so, but nothing's in writing. There's no contract signed. Therefore, we should pursue it because there is a possibility that we can get it, especially as Madrid uh, are struggling financially not just through debt, but also, of course, through uh, the payments on the rebuild of, of the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium as well, which they um, will move back into. Um, so, yes, it's, it's an interesting sort of a balancing act, if you like, with regards to um, what Mbappé does. Uh, obviously, his people, if you like, um, will expect a huge commission payment on any transfer which is conducted under freedom of contract. And again, that will be uh, an aspect of any deal that's done with regards to where he goes next. He's still young enough, clearly, 
that he could do a a sort of tour of Europe, if you like. He could go to England first and then to Madrid um, in two or three years' time uh, and and just get that experience and obviously in doing so earn a very, very substantial salary as well. Um, and if Madrid are not able to meet the financial uh, expectations of he and his representatives, then Manchester City may well be uh, or may well become uh, a viable prospect for him with regards to his next move. I think I think if he's planning to go to Spain in two or three years' time with a, a stop-off in the Premier League, then Manchester City are not the club he would choose to go to. Um, they're a difficult club to extract yourself from. Obviously, if they're doing a deal like that, it would be they'd be looking for a five-year contract, possibly even a six-year contract. And uh, I, I doubt they would be ready to to make a provision in which they would allow Mbappe to come for two or three years and then move elsewhere. Liverpool, I think if you're choosing a Premier League club um, with the expectation that you'll be sold on. And remember, when he went to Paris Saint-Germain, this is something we reported during the window, he had a gentleman's agreement with Paris Saint-Germain that he would spend four years there and they would allow him to be sold um, at the end of the fourth season for a substantial transfer fee and move to a club of his choosing with the expectation that would be Real Madrid. And they broke it. Um, and that's one of the reasons Mbappe was so unhappy with with Paris Saint-Germain this summer. So he, he did make that move with an expectation of, of moving elsewhere. And, and if he was to follow that same strategy, which is... It is perfectly feasible and it is something that's been mentioned to me um, that there's a decision to be made uh, between Premier League next and or La Liga next, but he's shifted his, his stance to, to be convinced that Madrid was the right place to go. But if you were to shift back to that idea of Premier League first, then the, the club to choose, I think, is Liverpool because Liverpool would... They have a history of signing players with an investment um, mentality in mind and the idea that you you recruit um, in this case you'd be recruiting for no transfer fee you get some of the best years of a player's career out of them and then you wait for a club like Madrid um, or PSG or Barcelona when they had the finances to do that to pick that player off at high transfer fee and then you reinvest in the next young talent I thought for a second there you were going to say he was on Mbappe with PSG <laughs> for, for breaking the uh, gentleman's agreement. Um, true, um, it, it's just, it's an extraordinary situation and one which is becoming more commonplace where a superstar player uh, decides to run down his contract to the point where he, he gets to choose, obviously. Uh, Paul Pog was in a similar situation at Manchester United. However, I would say this. I don't think that a player of Mbappe's uh, prestige and stature would sign a contract with another club, having had that experience at Paris Saint-Germain, without there being a release clause. Potentially, um, that's the case. But uh, look... If, if Manchester City are saying do it uh, in any way possible, then I suppose that uh, 
Ferran Soriano and Chiqui Bergiristan have a mandate to in, include a release clause uh, in the contract, but that's something that's been anathema to, to City in the past. Um, their, their expectation is we are paying top dollar for you and we're putting you in a platform where you can win um, trophies. Therefore, you sign a straight contract and, uh, and we decide if and when uh, you leave this club. It's, it's just not the way they operate. And I think more importantly here is uh, Mbappe's preference has been fundamentally for some time now to go to Real Madrid and to go to a club of that historic status. And that's one thing that Manchester City have not been able to buy. Um, and, you know, if you look at Mbappe, you've got a player who has absolute experience of being at a nation state club, at a, a club that are trying to buy elite status in the game, trying to buy elite trophies. And um, while PSG and Manchester City are operating in very different ways, Manchester City is a far more coherent and intelligent organisation. Um, Mbappe hasn't enjoyed that part of working for a nation state club. And, and, and I think it's going to be difficult to persuade him to, to jump to another one, uh, given the experience he's, he's had in Paris. Duncan, you mentioned uh, Chelsea and Manchester City meeting this weekend in the Premier League. And interestingly, uh, Big Tam Tuchel, our friend, has uh, beaten um, Guardiola on all three occasions when the two have met so far. And this could be um, a situation which uh, will give us a better guide as to how the Premier League title race will play out after what has been quite a mixed start to the season. Yeah, Tuchel's three, three games, three wins, um, all by a, a single goal against Guardiola since he became Chelsea manager. He lost all their meetings um, when they faced each other in Germany. Um, but... It is. It's a. It's a fascinating game to watch to see what Guardiola does. I talked about his his creative solutions and and them failing at the very highest level as uh, as Manchester City coach and also as Bayern Munich coach. Not working since he left Barcelona. And since he left that partnership with Lionel Messi, um, Tuchel has come up with ways of taking advantage of, of Guardiola's system. He's been very clever in doing that. Um, Guardiola's made some big mistakes, I think, in, in trying to set up in a different fashion in the Champions League final to, to prevent that from happening. Obviously, he went into the final with Gundogan as the, the holding midfielder. Um, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne beside him. Um, Sterling on the left wing, Maris on the right wing and Phil Foden central and managed just one shot and target in the game. Um, and Tuchel did it with a, with a very simple strategy really, which was um, to move the ball to Ben Chilwell, have Mason Mount come back beside Chilwell to provide support. Um, that drew Kyle Walker um, to the pair of them and the ball was shifted over to, in, in this case, um, Timo Werner and, and Kai Havertz. I, I doubt it will be Werner that Tuchel uses at the weekend, um, who were two-on-two two against 
City centre-backs um, who were left with 70 metres of the pitch to cover because of the way um, Guardiola had both his, his full-backs pushing high. And and it wasn't this wasn't a win where Chelsea just sat back, scored one goal on the break and uh, and and sat on that what is a very strong defence. It has been a very strong defence since Tuchel came in and, and stole a victory. They had a lot of chances and um, Werner missed a lot of chances in that game. So there's an obvious strategy for Tuchel to follow again um, and see whether Guardiola responds to it. There's a question of if Tuchel does that, how does Guardiola respond to it and can, can he come up with a solution? Um, or does Tuchel come up with another uh, variant which catches out Guardiola and, and the way he's been playing? If Look, it, it, it's going to be... I think we've got three teams in this Premier League who have strong squads and strong coaching and an expectation that they'll be at the top of the division. It's Chelsea, Manchester City, who've been the strongest for several years in the Premier League, and Liverpool, who have benefited from uh, long rest periods for some of their most important players this summer. Manchester United have got probably the deepest squad of all, certainly the most talented squad they've had since Sir Alex Ferguson, possibly the most talented squad they've ever had. Um, you can have an argument about that, but certainly far stronger than they've had in past years. But um, question mark over their coaching. So these kind of big games where the, the top contenders go head to head with each other, um, if Chelsea can take a three point advantage over um, out of the game from from Manchester City and and keep Tuchel's ability to to upset Guardiola and Guardiola's head, it, it's going to give them a significant advantage for the rest of this Premier League season. I think it's significant that Thomas Tuchel's in-game management um, is and has been very impressive with regards to managing um, different situations that arise uh, in a way that other managers don't appear to have that um, insight to be able to change things in-game. Uh, to uh, give the team an advantage and bring them into or indeed to um, sustain a lead. And that's something which he has proven himself to be very, very good at. So um, against Guardiola, who is regularly described as the best coach in the world, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Also start of a very tough period for Guardiola because he plays Chelsea away Saturday, Paris Saint-Germain away Tuesday mm. and Liverpool away Liverpool, the Sunday yeah. after that. Now, uh, Manchester United uh, lost their League Cup tie um, this week against West Ham United. Um, having only just beaten uh, David Moyes' team uh, in the weekend previously, uh, albeit probably somewhat fortunately given Martin Noble's missed penalty. Um, Noble obviously took some revenge and certainly West Ham did in uh, putting United out of the League Cup. Uh, before we come to the actual game and what's going on in terms of coaching at Manchester United, Duncan, 
let's just uh, get some update here now on um, Declan Rice and Manchester United's pursuit of Declan Rice. It is uh, our understanding that Rice's father, Sean Rice, uh, who is his agent and representative, is urgently seeking a meeting with the owners of West Ham, uh, David Gold and David Sullivan, after a summer transfer window when he believes and the player believes that he was priced out of a move because of the exorbitant demand in terms of transfer fee uh, that the owners had placed on his signature. Um, any club who had made inquiries were being quoted around £100 million. And uh, given that Rice was recruited at a very, very low rate, uh, they believe, uh, that's him and his father, that uh, that is unfair. Uh, but more importantly, that Rice, who has established himself, of course, not just uh, in the centre of midfield with West Ham, but also with England as well, uh, has ambitions to play at the highest level, and that means Champions League and challenging for the Premier League. So he wants to move, and Manchester United are certainly very interested in him, and they've made that clear to his father. And now um, his father is trying to arrange a meeting whereby, in his eyes, uh, he can establish a price that is more realistic in terms of his son's value um, without, obviously, um, doing West Ham out of their profit, but at the same time, not scaring off interested clubs uh, who want to recruit him. Uh, I suppose he would be the answer in central midfield, Duncan, given that um, McTominay, Fred and Matic don't seem to be of the level that is required at Manchester United. And Bruno Fernandes has the um, tendency to wander up front and play uh, as a number 10 rather than as a number 6 or a number 8. So uh, the chances of Rice moving there, do you think they are better than 50-50? Oh, I can say that I, I wish the, the Rice family luck with this meeting with, with David Gold and <laughs> David Sullivan. Um, these are individuals who do not sell underpriced very often. Um, they know the value of their assets. At present, um, they've built West Ham United by getting access to the Olympic Stadium at ridiculously low cost uh, into a, a powerful Premier League asset. And you've seen um, certain suitors talk about trying to buy it and, and trying to leverage the, the, gold, the Golden Sullivan partnership out. Um, of possession of West Ham United, the guidance I have is that they will not sell for anything under what they, they value the club at and the valuation of the club is far above the, the figures that are being mentioned by um, suitors who've, who've, who've talked to the, the press recently. I think Declan Rice is another example there. Um, they see that they have a player under contract until 2024 
um, an additional year's option on it. He's 22 years old. He is firmly established in the England international team um, with all the added value that brings. One of the reasons that Manchester United are interested in him is age. Another is that he's English um, and, and has that status which can be converted into commercial value for them. Helps them from a homegrown perspective. Well, that's not a massive problem for Manchester United, but preference always to to buy homegrown players if you can. Um, oh, you see David Moyes talking about Declan Rice back in March when this hundred million uh, price tag was floated, and Moyes' response and that this is before Rice had his very strong performance in the Euros and was uh, was praised by the the UEFA technical report for the quality of his interceptions tackling and and his ability to as they put it twist and turn his way out of Italy's aggressive press in the final uh, Moyes said I don't agree with the owners that Declan Rice is a 100 million pound footballer far far more than 100 million far far more I look at the players who have joined some clubs from overseas and come in and nowhere near had the impact Declan Rice would have also English, just had Brexit. So I wouldn't agree with the owners if Declan Rice was only 100 million. You can decide which figure you want to put on it, but I wouldn't be sanctioning anything like that. That's for sure. So <laughs> that's pretty strong stuff from the manager. And, and you can understand why Moyes is saying that because Rice has been very important for him in the, the, the team he's built and who are outperforming expectations. Uh, for a West Ham United squad at present. Um, so how does Rice get out in that scenario? Um, he can ask for a meeting. He can, his father can push for a more realistic transfer fee. Um, but how does he actually persuade Gold and Sullivan that um, they need to listen to that by, by saying that Rice isn't going to perform anymore? Or he isn't going to perform at the same standard unless he gets to play Champions League football. Those kind of threats are difficult ones to make with a player like Rice, who who I do not see as someone who's going to turn off the tap of performances at, at this stage of his career um, in order to force a move. If the price is £100 million plus, then you have to ask the question, in this marketplace, how many of his suitors can afford to spend that? Um, yes, Manchester City could afford to spend that if they decide that Rice is absolutely the player they want to recruit as a as a holding midfielder going forward. Um, he's been talked about as a as a potential signing for Liverpool. I don't see a Liverpool uh, in their financial state spending a hundred million pounds on a on a midfielder of that type. Manchester United could do it, yes. Um, last podcast we talked about how they their um, their commercial revenues and and their you know their, their global support has allowed them to come through the pandemic better than others and given them a, a relative advantage in the transfer market that they haven't had for a long time. But I find it hard to believe that the Glazers will sanction that kind of transfer fee for that position. Um, when you have alternatives available, Rice is, is very good and he does have a lot of, uh, time left in his career and the potential for development, but you've, you know, you have, you have players like Aurelien Chouani 
at Monaco who Manchester United have been in contact with his representatives who Chelsea also like who would will be moving from Monaco you can expect for for less than half that sum um, probably in the in the coming summer um, you have Jude Bellingham at uh, at Borussia Dortmund who has excelled since choosing to leave Birmingham City to go to German football because he would get game time um, when he was wanted by Manchester United and when he went to the training ground to 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 allow United to try and persuade him that that was the right move for him uh, was introduced to Alex Ferguson um, but Bellingham will, will probably be available for less than that not exactly the same type of midfielder but um, one that United still retain an interest in and if you have a requirement to bring someone in to improve the midfield which is something that Uligun or Solskjaer wants um, you you work on multiple options and, and if if the one one is at over 100 million pounds um, I think it's very hard to to see United des- deciding to to take that option if cheaper ones are available yeah I would agree with that um, and it is a very expensive signing but it's one that is has a resale value as well as obviously the value he brings to the team a team which lost 1-0 to West Ham United as we mentioned and another competition gone uh, and opportunity for Solskjaer to win his first trophy uh, he's received quite a lot of criticism and also it's interesting Duncan that a lot of fans now, especially on social media, are kind of turning on uh, Solskjaer uh, for his decisions um, with regards to the result against Young Boys and then against West Ham. And I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm sensing that perhaps uh, the, it's not even the honeymoon period, it's been a marriage, um, is 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 looking more shaky uh, within the first few weeks of this season than it has done um, for the time that he's been in charge. Look, I'm not sure for the time he's been in charge is accurate. He's been in this kind of position several times and he's had worse sequences, far worse sequences of results. I mean, he's managed, managed in his first two full seasons to put up um, the worst starts to Premier League seasons Manchester United had recorded for decades. Did it in his first full season and then surpassed it in his second full season. So, that, so this one's a, actually a relative success, albeit um, they haven't really played strong opponents. The strongest opponent they played was West Ham United last weekend, and that was a West Ham United without arguably their certainly their best attacking player. Um, you can argue maybe even their most important player, Mikel Antonio. Um, and an unconvincing performance as most of the performances have been this season. I think there's been one convincing performance and that was against Leeds United who match up very well um, to Manchester United because of the way that Bielsa plays. Um, The recruitment this summer is definitely a double-edged sword for Solskjaer. He's been given that squad, which as I say, you can argue is one of the strongest squads, maybe the strongest squad Manchester United have ever had. but the, the excuses and the, the story of we're making progress and we'll get there in the end and uh, a cultural reboot and we're, we're playing the Manchester United way, they're, they're harder to sustain when you, you go through a window and you, 
you sign one of the best centre backs in the world. You sign as a winger um, one of the most expensive targets and, and a player you've been trying to get for for over a year in Jaden Sancho, and then you add Cristiano Ronaldo as your uh, as your centre forward. Um, if you can't deliver with that squad, then questions will be asked about why. Questions will be asked about the way you're organising the team. And when you ask those questions about the way the team are organised, the answers don't come out very well because you just have to watch a sustained problem they have um, defending set pieces, um, sustained problem they have breaking down teams who don't make it easy um, for them to, to score against them. You, you even had Solskjaer talking after the game um, comments which he got quite a lot of criticism for because he talked about how good the attitude of his players had been. Um, Solskjaer saying we're not great when we play against a low block and just sling crosses in because we're not that type of team. We didn't have those type of players. Um, that's right. That's accurate. Um, but it's his job to <laughs> prevent them What's from going, just say, yeah. crosses in. <laughs> he has to come up with a, a way of breaking down opponents with the attacking resources he has. And, and he has frequently failed to do that. So that's why the pressure's on. And, and you know, we've said in this podcast before there are, there are only two coaches ever who've been entrusted with a billion euro squad in terms of transfer fee commitments to recruit one is Pep Guardiola the other is Uli Gunnar Solskjaer they both manage for almost exactly the same time in their, their career um, we know the, the massive list of trophies that Guardiola's put together during that time Solskjaer after going out in the, the first hurdle at the League Cup which when he needs a trophy, you have to say the League Cup is the best opportunity he had to win a trophy. It's FA Cup, League Cup are the two. And League Cup is the one where the majority of the Premier League sides put out very weak lineups because some of them don't even want to be in it. Um, Solskjaer, in his own words, said he did want to win the trophy. He did make 11 changes, but West Ham United made 10 changes. And, and you know, he, no one can argue that West Ham United had stronger players on the pitch um, than the Manchester United did in that game. But that was his, his best opportunities forsaking it. Very hard to see him winning the Champions League. Um, difficult, I think, to see, see him winning the Premier League. And he's now on 25 failed attempts to win a trophy um, at three different clubs and, and three different um, divisions uh, since he last won one, which was the 2013 Norwegian Cup and at Manchester United he's now had 12 failed attempts at doing that he's in his fourth season as a manager um, you, you, you would think that can't go on forever um, therefore it does add to the, the pressure on him and, and the question is do the players dig him out um, do they do they their, their sheer qualities put enough good games together that he manages to win an FA Cup or uh, can he come up with an alternative solution to the way they play? Um, and we haven't seen that answer from him in his entire time at the club so far. So it, it's difficult to expect that that answer will come um, this season. Perhaps the answer is Manchester United entering the Norwegian Cup. Always <laughs> um, got record there, winning it. <laughs> Once. Make a few... A few trips <laughs> to Norway. 
Well, uh, Manchester United certainly are still seem to be in a state of flux, even after um, three years of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. But a club who are definitely in a state of chaos is Barcelona. The relationship between the president, Joan Laporta, and the manager, Ronald Koeman, is, is described as unworkable, uh, almost toxic, actually, uh, because obviously uh, Koeman was appointed by his predecessor. And the word is that the only reason he's still there is because Barcelona's precarious finances, um, 1.15 billion euros in debt, does not. Um, give them the opportunity to pay Koeman's contract up to get rid of him. However, results so far this season suggest that Koeman uh, and his relationship with the dressing room is not sustainable and good enough to see Barcelona challenge at all levels where they would want to. Uh, we have learned at the Transfer Window podcast that uh, Barcelona have made contact with the former German international uh, manager, Jürgen Le, uh, with regards to his, the possibility of him replacing Koeman at the Camp Nou. Um, Antonio Conte is another one has been mentioned, although I think, Duncan, we would agree that his personality and style of football is probably not one which would suit Barcelona historically and traditionally. Um, but this is a, it's a huge job, and, and this is also a, a club which has found itself basically uh, lilting and falling from one um, situation to another with regards to um, the, the club being in a state of uh, confusion and also failure without the standards that have been set. Uh, we know that, and we did report this in the last podcast, that Guardiola had turned down uh, an opportunity to return to Camp Nou, and now they're looking at other candidates. And understandably, uh, they're trying to find someone who can actually remedy the situation with regards to uh, not just... Uh, the results, but also the playing style and uh, the dressing room relations with the football department and the players. Players who, of course, as we know, have taken very substantial pay cuts just to help the club out, as it were, uh, in terms of their finances. Do you think Yugi Lua would be a, a good pick, Duncan? I think it's interesting he's on the list. Um, I think it's telling that he's out of work and therefore uh, accessible without paying compensation to, to current employers. Um, other individuals have been mentioned, uh, including, uh, bizarrely, Andrea Pirlo, uh, given what happened at Juventus, also out, out of work. Um, Koku is another candidate that's been mentioned who... who um, uh, hardly covered himself in, in glory at uh, Derby County. Um, I think Love would be a quite a gamble um, 
given that he hasn't managed a club of any type since March 2004 and, and his last club was in, in Austria. So he, is, uh, yeah, he was the longest serving uh, coach in, in European international football when he decided to step down from the Germany job after the Euros, after they exited uh, to England in the round of 16. Um, his big success, of course, was winning 2014 World Cup with Germany. Um, and then on, very much on a, on a downward slope after that. Um, I don't think you would see Love as a leading candidate for this job um, in normal financial circumstances for Barcelona. And, and it, it's, a, it's a mark of, of where they are. He's also 61 years old, although he looks significantly younger. So if they do go down that line, um, there are going to be a lot of questions asked by um, a, a, an extremely disgruntled Barcelona support at present. And Love will have to ch turn things around rapidly. You mentioned Antonio Conte, who's also been reported as being on the, the shortlist for Barcelona. Um, my information has been no contact uh, from Barcelona with Conte at, at this stage. Um, that strikes me as the kind of name you are happy to have on the list because it shows ambition, but uh, you know um, realistically you would not be able to recruit him because his salary demands are huge and uh, it's you know clear from Conte's side that he wants a team that can win the Champions League immediately. He's been pushing for that for a long time and pushing past employers to ensure they're competitive. He left Inter because he felt they weren't going to be competitive this summer. And um, I don't think anyone thinks that, that Barcelona are top choice if you want a competitive team to win the, the Champions League at present. If you did bring him in, say they, they found the money from somewhere to convince him, uh, and uh, and a story to convince him that it was the right time to come here. His uh, abrasive style of management and his style of football aren't exactly conducive to uh, to what Barcelona uh, want to see on the pitch. So you know they've got themselves in a in a in a difficult position in, in pretty much all areas. And and I think a lot of people are now asking serious questions of Laporta because he promised massive change and immediate improvement and big financial uh, additions to the books at, at Barcelona which would allow them to compete and he's talk he was talking about signing players like Erling Haaland this summer and instead they're they're uh, they're working with uh, with an attack which is almost entirely injured at the moment um, and even when they get themselves fit again it's not on the level that Barcelona supporters were expecting and have got used to. And I'm also hearing, Duncan, that um, Barcelona are actively pursuing um, a consolidation uh, loan uh, of their debt, uh, some of which has been put to um, uh, private equity companies in the city of London um, with regards to... Uh, finding a way to give them a, a, a different credit line that would allow them uh, to enter into the transfer market, certainly by next summer, um, on the basis of amortization 
uh, of future revenue. Um, obviously, when you're over a billion euros in debt, that's a difficult thing to do. But with Barcelona's uh, turnover and also their uh, status in the world game, they do have some leverage with regards to borrowing money. Um, but at the moment, they are paying a lot of interest on different loans. Well, as this is the second podcast of the week, we will bring to you, of course, the sparkling golden statue of Duncan Castles, the Donkey Award. And this uh, week we are inspired, if that's the right word to say, Duncan, <laughs> or maybe we're a little bit dismayed, by uh, Bruno Fernandes, who um, instead of... Uh, taking the right rule uh, in terms of a bounce-up between two players, actually ran with the ball uh, for Manchester United. And, um, of course, that is not in the spirit of the game and also illegal. So we are having the donkey uh, today as the Bruno Fernandes uh, blatant disregard of the rules award, and I'm going to open the golden envelope and find out who our other nominations are. Let's get the. Uh... There we go. So uh, first up, in the blatant disregard of rules. You could really have about 10 candidates for this, or maybe even 100. Um, Thousands, I think. Thousands. West Ham United, in their signing of Carlos Tevez and Javi Mascherano, who, of course, were owned by a third party, which was against the rules of the Premier League. However, they entered into that, and um, of course, in the end, uh, they had to pay Sheffield United a substantial fee when they were relegated at the hands of Tevez's uh, goal at Manchester United, which kept West Ham up. Uh, We have Manchester City, um, blatant disregard of the rules. Well, take your pick. Uh, you will have heard us discuss all of these issues on the podcast many times. So I'll let Duncan um, decide on that one, of course, because he's the man who chooses the winner. And uh, my own personal favourite, because I was at the game, uh, going back many years when um, Dundee visited uh, Tynecastle to play Hearts, and it was another bounce-up, funnily enough. And uh, Billy Dodds had been designated, this is a Dundee striker, to kick the ball, the Hearts goalkeeper, um, with regards to um, getting the game back underway. And instead, uh, hit a half-volley, which hit the bar, and he almost scored from. Um, and... Uh, Henry Smith, the hearts keeper at the time, chased him 70 yards <laughs> and tried to knock him out. 
<laughs> for his sheer cheekiness and uh, and what he had done, and uh, I have to say I admired him for it. I I, I can't I, I can't say anything else because it was very very funny, uh, as was the Hearts players' um, response to it. So Duncan, I'll leave it to you to decide who you think has disregarded the rules more. <laughs> Um, yeah, I like the Billy Dodds one as it's uh, it's got some some similarities to Bruno Fernandez' attempt to ignore a, a bounce ball uh, because it hit the referee in the very final minutes of that game against West Ham United. And uh, I think what what made Bruno Fernandez one it, all the more special was he he ran forty yards, put the ball in the net, and then had the temerity to complain to the referee. <laughs> about why the goal hadn't been given, which uh, we saw both Solskjaer and Moyes laughing on, on the touchline at the end of the game. Um, West Ham United, I'm going to let them off, although it was, it was a, a horrendous breach of the rules because their argument was they weren't fully aware of, of what was going on and there were some uh, extremely shady um, practices involved in the in the representation of, of those two players at, at the time um, and they, I think they lose to Manchester City on the, on the blatant disregards front because Manchester City have been found guilty of, of breaching more rules uh, on on a repeated basis um, basically broken rules uh, during the Abu Dhabi ownership of every football association um, that they they play under um, and uh, and also um, Premier League rules, so I think I think they pip uh, the other two contenders to to the, the Bruno Fernandes prize this week. <sighs> Billy Dodds should have got it. <laughs> <laughs> He's been the best person to receive that golden statue, in terms of you know just for the sheer kind of novelty factor. But anyway, it's your decision, Duncan. It's your award, so. Manchester City are this week's recipient of the Donkey Award. This has been the news before it becomes news, uh, as you will, of course, discover because you'll have heard um, the news on Kylian Mbappe in particular before everyone else picks it up and uh, tells you that that's what's happening. Uh, you can engage us on our social media platforms. We're at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Also, you can listen to the podcast on YouTube and comment there as well. We wish you a good weekend, and we will be with you again next week. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>